Father God, I pray that every soul in this building can testify that they love Jesus. And I pray that we would make the changes necessary so that we bring you great joy. This I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Do you bring joy to the Lord Jesus? Do you bring joy to God? Do you bring joy to your heavenly Father? Well, I want you to examine your own heart today. This is not me telling you anything. This is about you examining your own heart. Are you daily giving yourself to Christ? Are you surrendering yourself every day so that God might use you in a glorious way? As we look at the lives of these four people that was, were incredibly close to Christ, I pray that you're going to determine to make the changes necessary so that every day you live will bring joy to the Lord. First of all, let's look, how did Martha bring joy to Jesus? In verse 1, the word says that six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, was. And there he made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Even though it's not her house, even though it's not her supper table, we find Martha doing her usual thing. There Martha is, once again, serving the Lord and serving His people. Again, Martha is serving. Only this time, she's a little bit different. This time, Martha is waiting on them. She's providing for them. She's taking care of them with a much different attitude. You see, back in Luke 10, Martha was very worried that she was working more than other people. Back in Luke 10, Martha was very uh, worried and complained that somebody else might not be holding up their end of the bargain and working like they should while she was working so hard. She was doing all the work, she said. She complained and she served with an attitude of selfishness. See, it was really all about her. But this here in John chapter 12 is not the same Martha. It's a different Martha. It appears to me that faith, a closer relationship with the Lord, and the joy of the Lord has changed Martha's life. Now she's serving with an attitude of humility. Now she's serving with an attitude that, you know what? It's a privilege to serve the Lord. Now she's serving with an attitude that, you know what? I'm glad I get to serve the Lord. She's learned that when serving the Lord, this is important. Attitude is everything. Did you hear that, church? When you're serving the Lord, attitude is everything. Martha learned that bringing joy to Jesus meant practicing faithful service and not expecting anything in return. From the Lord or from anybody else. It meant serving in humility, serving in gladness, and serving. Why? Because it was a privilege to do so. You know what? When we focus on pleasing Jesus, we'll serve him and his people, and we'll do it, get this, without complaining. I don't know how many times I've served the Lord, I've served his people, and I've complained about it. 
And then maybe you have too. Complain about how tired I am. Complain that maybe I was the only one working. Whatever the case might be. Well, that's the wrong attitude. The wrong attitude indeed. But when we serve faithfully, when we serve honestly, when we serve diligently as the unto the God, unto our Lord, and everything we do then can be a gift. Everything we do can be a blessing when we do it unto the Lord. Now, some people may think that you're wasting your time when you serve the Lord or when you serve other people. Some people may say, you know what? You're not making some dramatic change. You're not making some permanent change in the world. But get this, friends. What other people call insignificant, what other people may call worthless, what other people may call wasteful, may be bringing great joy to the Lord. All of us should want to do something to please the Lord every day. So we ought to look in the mirror every morning and say, what am I going to do to please the Lord today? But you know what? You need to know this. Service is often costly. Service to the Lord is often very costly. It's going to cost you something. It may be some energy. It may be some time. It may be some money. It's going to cost you something. Service to the Lord should cost us something. Some may think, well, you know what? I can't muster another ounce of energy to give to the Lord. Others may say, you know, I'm retired. I'm too old. Others may say, well, I don't know how to teach. I'm too young. Or, man, I got so much on my plate, I couldn't handle another thing. I'm just too busy. I'm too busy to do my part. Friends, I want you to know, I believe that these are just lame excuses. They're just lame excuses, and worse yet, they show an evidence of a lack of love that people have for Jesus. It's scary how many times we use excuses for doing something that might honor and bring joy to the Lord. Think of this. What would have happened if just prior to Jesus' death, he hung there and said, Lord, my Father... I can't take it no more. Get me down off this cross. What if he'd made the choice not to serve you that way and said, get me down off this cross? I'll tell you what would have happened. We'd have no hope of heaven. We've had no hope of forgiveness of our sins. We've had no hope of eternal life. If Jesus hadn't chosen to serve us. I want you to know that your service has eternal implications. Everything you do for the Lord has eternal implications. Whether it be for children or seniors or adults or yard sales or whatever. Everything that you do for the Lord has eternal implications. Serving the Lord and serving his people ought to bring us great joy. We ought to sense that as a privilege because the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 16, do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I pray 
that you can say that you've been sacrificing those things that have eternal implications. So Martha brought joy to Jesus. How? Through her work. Through her work, she brought joy to Jesus. But what about Mary? Let's look at Mary. Mary worshipped. Look at verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Here we find Mary basically doing her natural thing, her normal thing. What is Mary doing? Mary is sacrificing. Every time we meet Mary in the Bible, she's worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Every time. But Mary's worship also took on a little bit of a different form. I imagine it this way. I imagine that dinner was over. Everybody's rubbing their belly, trying to stretch out a little bit, make more room for dessert. They're rubbing their belly because of this wonderful meal that Martha served. And then something happened that will be talked about for centuries to come. It was really a simple gesture. It was a simple gesture of gratitude. It was a simple gesture of profound love. Mary went to her little lockbox. And she stuck her key in and she opened her little lockbox. And in that lockbox she took out a very, very expensive vial of oil. One that she had been saving for a rainy day. And then she knelt at the feet of Jesus and she took the place of a slave, and there she quietly anointed his feet with her life savings. With everything she had. She was saying, in effect, that there's nothing too valuable for my Lord. Can you say that? There's nothing too valuable. For my Lord, there's nothing too valuable to give to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy of everything I have. He's worthy of everything I am. I only wish this one thing. I just wish I had more to give. In that day, you need to know that a woman's hair was her glory. And there, Mary humbled herself and laid her glory at the feet of Jesus. Of course, she was misunderstood. She was even criticized. But you know what? When you give your best for the Lord, that's usually what happens. Somebody's going to criticize you for giving all you got to the Lord. But know this too. This kind of worship that we witness in Mary is very costly also. I wonder if Mary remembered what King David said in 2 Samuel 24, where David said, I will not offer God that which costs me nothing. Did you hear that? I will not offer God that which costs me nothing. Worship is sacrifice. Worship is costly. We need to know that. So Mary took the most precious thing that she had, the most precious thing she owned, and she spent it all on Jesus. You see, true love gives all. 
True love gives all. True love's only regret is that it doesn't have more to give. That's true love for you. Churches are meeting all over this place, all over this country, all over the world, and they're doing a thing they call worship. They're doing a thing they call worship. But in all reality, there ain't much worshiping going on there. Because their minds are a million miles away from God. They've gathered for some ulterior motive. They're looking for something they can get. They're saying, what's in it for me? When really all worship is about is loving God. Maybe there's one person up front that's worshiping. Maybe there's one in the back and a few in the middle. But most people in church go away disappointed, disheartened, and sadly they go away unchanged. They blame the music. Music was too dull. I like contemporary music. Music was too traditional. They blame the preacher. The preacher was way too loud. Can you get a testimony? But what's the real problem? The real problem's them. They didn't worship because there was no sacrifice. They didn't empty their lives, empty their hearts, empty their minds of everything before they came in to worship God. There was no sacrifice of time to speak of. They didn't prepare last night for this worship experience this morning. No sacrifice. The plate came by, they put in a couple bucks. The preacher preached on sin. But they wouldn't confess that they had any. God's word declared that changes were necessary. But they ignored the word. There's no worship. Others don't worship because they refuse to lay down their time. They refuse to lay down the gifts that God gave them to begin with for His use. Others refuse to worship because they don't lay the, the treasure, their treasures on the altar for God to use. So they come to church. They sit in the pew. They try to worship. And they leave exactly the same way they came in. Unchanged. They're still a believer in their mind. But they haven't become a disciple in their heart. I pray that doesn't happen to us. Because, friend, if there's no worship, there's no worship because there's no sacrifice. If we don't sacrifice, then you can't worship. So much can be worship. So going through the motions on a Sunday morning is a joke. 
Going through the motions on a Sunday morning doesn't mean a thing to the Lord. And if you're doing that, can I just invite you to go ahead and leave? That doesn't mean nothing to him. You are wasting your time if you're not sacrificing in worship. But if you become a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, that you have surrendered everything that you are, everything that you have for his glorious use. Now, friend, you've come to worship. Now you've come to declare your love for Jesus. Now you've come to bring joy to Jesus. Now you're worshiping. Martha brought joy to Jesus through her work. Mary brought joy to Jesus through her worship. But now sadly we must see that Judas wavered. Let's read verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's about a year's wages, by the way. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She's kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. I read about a burglar who needed money to pay his income taxes. So he decided he was going to rob a grocery store. So one night late, he went to the grocery store, he broke in, and he got to the safe in the grocery store, and he was pleased to find that there was a note on the safe that said, please don't use dynamite. Don't worry. The safe is not locked. It's open. Just turn the knob. With a big old smile, he turned the knob, opened it up, and when he did, a heavy sandbag fell on his head. All the floodlights came on, and the alarm started clanging. As the police scooped him up, put him on a stretcher, and were carrying him out, he moaned, My confidence in the goodness of man has now been severely shaken. I think if we're not careful, we can feel the same way about Judas. Consider this. How could a man follow Jesus as a disciple for that long and do what he did? How could a man see all the miracles that Jesus did then do what he did? How could a man hear all the teaching from the Lord of life then do what he did? How is it that a man could receive countless blessings as a result of being a disciple and then do all that he did? How could he be counted as an apostle and then do what he did? It just proves that he had a rotten heart. Amen? At first it seems to me that's incredible. That's impossible. How could somebody do that? But in this case, it appears that Judas's whole life was nothing but a smokescreen. You know what a smokescreen is? 
It's a screen of smoke that hides the truth. And I believe that's what Judas' life was. His whole life was a smoke screen. What Mary saw as worship, Judas saw as waste. Why was Judas making such a big deal about, about this oil being sold? What was really the big deal? You know what's really interesting to me? Is that Judas didn't consider Jesus' life to be worth a year's wages. But then do you remember what he sold him for and betrayed him for? 30 pieces of silver. All Judas, Judas was doing was putting up a smoke screen. Are we guilty of sometimes putting up a smoke screen? We want the world to see us as one way. But if the smoke screen was down, they'd see us as another. The fact is that there is no evidence that Judas ever gave to the poor. Not once, even though he said that. In fact, John uh, tells us exactly what Judas's motives were. Here's the truth of the matter. If that expensive oil was sold, guess who was going to have access to the money? Judas. All Judas was doing was just putting up a front. A smoke screen to cover his own selfishness and his own greed and the own sin in his own heart. See, Judas wasn't in love with Jesus. Judas was in love with Judas. And if we're not careful, friends, we can be guilty of the same thing. You can call yourself a Christian, but you're not in love with Jesus. You're in love with yourself. Because everything that you do, it's all about what's in it for me. How is this going to influence my life? How am I going to benefit from it? It's all about me. What about me? Let us be careful not to live that selfishly. I mean, I wonder how many church members are guilty of putting up a smokescreen. In effect, stealing from God. Because they're proclaiming their love for God, but the truth is not so much. Think of these. Those that are critical of other people. But they're not doing nothing themselves. You know what that is? It's a smokescreen. Think of those who don't attend church regularly, but they criticize what the church does. Smokescreen. They don't read their Bibles, but they're the first ones to criticize the preaching. They're unwilling to help financially, physically, prayerfully, but when the plans fail, guess who's the first one to criticize? They are. Smokescreen. Likewise, this self-righteous Judas tries to come down on Mary. But Jesus himself takes a bold stand and rises to her defense. There would always be opportunities to care for the poor. Day in and day out, you can take care of the poor, but they wouldn't always have Jesus. Jesus is so precious to us. He's so precious. He is with us. And we ought to 
exemplify and exhibit and demonstrate that love that we have for him in everything that we do. Let us seize every opportunity that we have to express the love we have for Jesus. But whatever you do, don't put up a smoke screen. Judas wavered in his devotion to Christ. Undoubtedly, can you imagine how that hurt the Lord? Can you imagine that he was crushed when Judas betrayed him? Martha brought joy to the Lord through her work, and Mary brought joy to the Lord through her worship. But now I want you to see that joy came to the Lord as Lazarus witnessed. Verse 9. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. Talking about Jesus. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Would you say that Lazarus had a life-changing experience? Would you say that? He was dead one day, the next day he was alive. He went from a four-day-old dead man to a man who was alive and bringing joy to Jesus. And because of that great change that Jesus did in his life, people wanted to see him. People wanted to talk to him. People wanted to know, what has he got to say? Furthermore, what does this Jesus have to say? See, what Jesus did in him was a living witness. A living witness. His testimony was used by God to bring many, the Bible says, to salvation in the Lord. And his friends, you need to know that we have a life-changing experience too. We need to be telling other people about this life-changing experience that we have had. Other people need to know what Jesus has done in your life. And if he hasn't done anything, then don't bother coming here no more. If he hasn't done anything for you, then don't proclaim yourself to be a Christian. Other people need to know about that life-changing experience you've had. You know, Scripture doesn't record a single word that Lazarus said. Not a single word that Lazarus spoke, but the miracle was in his daily walk. He'd been raised from the dead. He'd been raised from the dead. And now Jesus was using him to convince other people that he was the Son of God. On the other hand, we have uh, John the Baptist, where the Bible says that John the Baptist didn't do any miracles. But all the things that John spoke were true, and many believed in his words. So, I'm sure that Lazarus did speak. It's just that Scripture doesn't record it. He did talk, and I bet his testimony went something like this. You're not going to believe this. I was dead, and then because of Jesus, I'm alive. Guess who else has got that same testimony? 
you. You were dead in your sins, and because of Jesus, now you live. How many people have you told about your life-changing experience? How many people have you told about your life-changing experience? His witness was so powerful that the religious leaders wanted Lazarus dead again. He was already dead once. They wanted to kill him again. Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. A living witness. That's what you are. You are been called to be a living witness. Friends, and our witness is not what you do for Jesus. Don't think that you can come here and do, 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 serve, 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 and you'll be the living witness. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not what you do for Jesus that makes you a living witness. It's what Jesus does through you that makes you a living witness. Do you daily surrender your life? Christ? Do you daily allow Jesus to use your life as a witness? Do you yield your own selfish desires, what you want, so that other people will see your worship in Jesus as King and Savior? Do you submit your all like Mary did Submit your all to his service and bring joy through your work like Martha did? Or, like Judas, do you find your faith is wavering? Do you find yourself putting up a smoke screen so that others won't see the truth? Do you find yourself making excuses when it comes to working for the Lord? Do you find yourself making excuses when it comes to worshiping the Lord? I don't know how many people aren't here today. Don't want to know. But I wonder what excuse they would give if Jesus asked them, why weren't you here today? Why didn't you worship me today? I wonder what excuse they would give. Do you find yourself making excuses for witnessing for the Lord? I've heard them all. Oh, I'm not very good with the Bible. I don't know all the Bible, Brother Bill. Man, I'm a little bit scared about witnessing for the Lord. Man, I am so tired, man. I have put in a full day's work and I just don't have time to come to grow. I shared this with the deacons this morning, but I'm excited. I'm excited about our Grow Outreach Ministry. I'm happy with our Grow Outreach Ministry because the attendance that we've had has been steady. Would you agree, Kathy? It's been steady. But it's only been half of those who committed to witnessing for the Lord. 
I wonder what excuses we might find if we ask the other half that weren't coming. Why aren't you witnessing for the Lord? Why aren't you worshiping for the Lord? Why aren't you working for the Lord? Just know when you stand before God, there'll be no excuse. You can give me all the excuses you want. You know what I'll tell you? I love you and I understand. That's my pat response for an excuse. I love you and I understand. But when you stand before God, it's going to be a different story. Because excuses ain't going to fly. Jesus gave his all. There was nothing left that Jesus could have given in order for you to have forgiveness for your sin. He gave it all. There's nothing more he could have given. When, when it came to you experiencing a fruitful and abundant life, Jesus gave his all for you. When it came to you being assured of eternal life in heaven, Jesus gave his all for you. I mean, he shed his blood for you. Yet when it comes to working and worshiping and witnessing, if the truth is known, we're too busy wavering. So, how can things be different? How can things be different? Well, friends, change has got to occur. You can't do the same things the same way and expect a different result. If you want to be able to stand before the throne of God with a clear conscience, change must occur. What do I do? Pour out my life. Hold nothing back. Give it all to Him. He deserves everything we have to offer. He gave His all for you and I. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you follow my way, believe in my truth, and live the life I tell you to live, heaven is your home. But no man can come to the Father unless it comes through me. I pray that when you work for the Lord, you work it like, like it's a privilege for you to do so. Like you've been given the greatest privilege of all time that you get to work for the Lord. Likewise, when you come to this place to worship, you come prepared, you come bright-eyed and bushy-tailed with a big old fat Brother Bill smile on your face, and you come ready to worship, to show and demonstrate your love for the Lord and your desire to make Him joyful. And I pray when you walk out of this building that you're witnessing for the Lord through your life, because once you were dead, but because of Jesus, now you live. Pray your, your life is a living testimony of that. And that you use your words to tell other people about the reason for your happiness and the reason for your joy.
You can have this eternal life I'm talking about by giving, pouring out your life and giving it to Christ. He'll take over from there. So during this song, I just want you to, to be encouraged that if you don't know the Lord, that you don't have a relationship with the Lord, today's your day. Today's that day of the change. Today's the day where that change can occur, where you can pour out your life and give your life to God. I pray that during this song, you just step out, step forward. Allow me to show you what the Bible says about how you can be saved, how you can then work for the Lord and worship the Lord and witness for the Lord in a way that gives him, get this, great joy. Father God, I pray every